0: our scripture this morning comes from Proverbs chapter 30 you can follow along in your worship guide or in your Bible the words of Agur son of Jacob the Oracle the man declares I am weary O God I am weary O God and worn out surely I am too stupid to be a man I have not the understanding of a man I have not learned wisdom nor have I knowledge of the Holy One who has ascended to heaven and come down Who has gathered the wind in his fists, who has wrapped up the waters in a garment, who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and what is his son's name? Surely you know. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. There are those who curse their fathers and do not bless their mothers. There are those who are clean in their own eyes, but are not washed of their filth. There are those, how lofty are their eyes, how high their eyelids lift. There are those whose teeth are swords, whose fangs are knives, to devour the poor from off the earth, the needy from among mankind. Four things on earth are small, but they are exceedingly wise. The ants are a people not strong, yet they provide their food in the summer. The rock badgers are a people not mighty, yet they make their homes in the cliffs. The locusts have no king, yet all of them march in rank. The lizard you can take in your hands, yet it is in king's palaces. If you have been foolish, exalting yourself, or if you have been devising evil, put your hand on your mouth, for pressing milk produces curds, Pressing the nose produces blood, and pressing anger produces strife. This is the word of the Lord. It's absolutely true and given to us in love.
1: Hey, everyone. Uh, My name is Harrison. I'm one of the, uh, the pastor here at Hope Chapel, and... Um, We uh, have been going through a series on Proverbs that we're ending today. Advent starts next week, actually. Uh, Michael and I were joking, the nature of Advent is waiting. And it feels like it should start today, uh, and it does not. Um, So, uh, we're ending Proverbs today. And um, this series has been, uh, if you have been with us, uh, on the the wisdom of God for the nitty-gritty of our daily lives. Um, How do we find life and flourishing and fullness? In our relationships, our words, our conflict, our work, our wounds, our homes, our money. Uh, this wisdom has described uh, daily choices that we all face and outcomes The certain choices and paths uh, tend towards in the world in which God rules. Uh, the beginning and ending of these various paths. And for those of us in here who are Christians, uh, this uh those of us who have been saved by the free grace of Jesus, who have been justified by God on the basis of Jesus' sacrifice in our place, for those of us who have been given the Holy Spirit and freed, as we just sang about, from our bondage to our sin patterns and enabled to live a better way, uh, the description of the wise path in Proverbs tells us what does the better way actually look like and how do I sail my ship of my life towards it. What does it actually look like to step into God's shalom in the mundaneness of this life? To taste the tree of life in your living room tonight? For those of us uh, who are not Christians in here, there's an invitation in all this to a better way for you too. It starts with following the Lord and His wisdom. And so I I first want to recount for us, kind of summarizing the series, what that better way has looked like that we've seen. So. Summary of where we've been, uh, we've seen the wise do not approach the world from naivete. They are discerning about the path they're walking and about others that they encounter who might invite them onto other paths. They're not afraid to rock the boat to stay on the right path. The wise do not approach the world from folly. Uh, They listen well to others, they control their emotions, they overlook small offenses, they build others up with their words rather than tearing them down. The wise are also aware scoffers are out there in the world, those who devise evil. uh, Also, they're aware of scoffing tendencies in their own hearts. And so the wise avoid scoffers and scoffing. They take Jesus' warning seriously and repent hard of their own tendencies to to plan evil and manipulate. With their work, uh, the wise are diligent, they're prepared, they're focused, they're honest, and they're humble. With their decisions, they make plans, but hold them loosely, knowing that the Lord establishes their steps. With their money, they know the downsides of having too much money, and so they know when to desist seeking it, and they use the excess they have to help the poor flourish in their city. The wise in their homes, you'll find them striving to teach their children the way of the Lord, to consistently discipline their children and to faithfully delight in their spouses. This is a broad summary of where we've been. Each proverb is way more nuanced and specific and profound than just those summaries, but that's the gist of um, God's teaching in those areas. And now that we've reached the end of the series, um, you know when you're cooking, Uh, some of us cook for Thanksgiving, and you're on a skillet or on a grill, and sometimes you press down your spatula on the top of the meat, and you get a little sizzle, you get a nice little sear on there. our passage today uh, is doing that to the main themes of the book. It's taking us deeper um, and, and burning in the fundamental truths in a more permanent way into our minds. Because I hope you've gathered so far that Proverbs is calling you to a new lifestyle. God is calling you to a new lifestyle. A lifestyle where you um, look past your own autopilot in these mundane areas of your life. And you rather look to the wisdom upon which the entire world and the universe was founded. And so far in this series we've tasted the wisdom, um, but you actually need to bathe in it daily. You've looked at some proverbs, uh, but they must become the glasses through which we see all of these categories in our lives. So our passage today uh, is going to grill us in a little bit into this new lifestyle. I'm not a great, I don't know if that's a good thing to do, pressing down on it. Uh, it feels like it makes it go faster, but don't take my cooking advice. Um, so the three, the three things, uh, three grill grooves that show up on your little steak as you press it down. Um, one uh, is our essential feeling of being wearied for wisdom. Our essential feeling of being wearied for wisdom. Two is the essential recognition that the Lord offers wisdom abundantly. And then three, the essential response to it all, humility. Three essentials uh, that we're wearied for wisdom. The Lord offers wisdom abundantly, and the essential response to it all is humility. So, first, let me pray before we dive into all this. Father, we've uh, enjoyed getting to learn from you in this series, and we ask uh, that you would um, leave us with some. Uh, some marks uh, that we can take with us into our lives. Uh, leave leave us with a changed attitude, a changed posture, a changed practices. Uh, Lord, where we can actually look to you in all these areas. If we read and then forget, uh, it means nothing. Um, so I pray that you would help us practice these things. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so first is our essential feeling of being wearied for wisdom. Um, You can look in your worship guide or in your Bible, Proverbs 30. uh, Starts in verse one, the the words of Agur, son of Jaca, the the oracle. Uh, Agur was one of the wise, uh, one of the sages that was inspired by God, and an oracle is is a prophecy given from God here that God intends to be in his scripture, in his word, and so here's here's the oracle. The man declares, I am weary, O God. I'm weary, O God, and worn out. Surely I'm too stupid to be a man. I have not the understanding of a man. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One. Who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is his son's name? Surely you know. Wisdom texts in the ancient world often began with a teacher making the case of why he was especially wise compared to others, and why he should be listened to. We do the same thing today. Uh, the speaker gives his or her credibility. If you've ever listened to a TED Talk, they always begin with the speaker's bio. Um, I'm an expert. I have experience. I've studied and researched. This is why I'm talking on this subject, and you're the one listening. But not this text uh, intentionally. It begins with... I am not wise. I have no expertise or experience and credentials to offer in fact it's just the opposite. I feel less than a man, too stupid to be a man. This would have been as striking for them as it might feel for you hearing this. It's a a sage voicing that he is at the end of himself. He is utterly worn out by his own lack of wisdom and uh, this involves the knowledge of his own mistakes the effects those have brought in his life and his inability to handle all of it. I'm stupid. Ah. He doesn't give the details of of what he's uh, frustrated about, but you can guess based on the other Proverbs, maybe he's feeling his naivete. He wasn't discerning in a relationship and he got burned hard. And he's reevaluating his life. Man, I'm stupid. Maybe he's feeling his foolishness. He got into a conflict with his wife over a simple misunderstanding and blew up and said some things she regrets and now she's distant he's saying I'm so stupid or maybe he's feeling his scoffing tendencies I am an imposter here among these people maybe it's some combination of all three ways that are opposed to wisdom in the Proverbs it doesn't have to just be one he's deeply wearied at the end of himself feeling like an imposter I wonder, uh, do you ever come to church feeling like this passage, uh, wearied from the mistakes of your life? Maybe something happened in your home uh, during this past week, choices you made that made you feel like an imposter in here right now. Who's ever come to church? I just want to do this. Who's ever come to church feeling like an imposter? It's weird, isn't it? How many of us feel like we don't fit in with... Many of others of us, uh, who also don't feel like we fit in. Many of us assumed, uh, assume this is a really bad place to be in, don't we? When we're feeling that, it's a bad place. But here we have a sage with an oracle from God, voicing that exact thing. And he even goes further, uh, verse 3, I have not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One. This is a statement of doubt and limitation. I don't have any wisdom at all. I don't feel like I know anything about God. Am I a Christian really even? Has anyone ever felt this way after feeling the effects of sin in your own life? Am I really even a Christian? Do I even know anything about God? Another form of imposter imposter syndrome. He's utterly at the end of himself. And then, uh, notice what he does with this though. He he then moves in verse 4, he broadens this experience to the rest of mankind. He's saying, I feel that way, but I think you should feel this way too. He says, uh, you know, but who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who's gathered the wind in his fist? Who's wrapped up the waters in a garment? Who has established the ends of the earth? What is his name and what is his son's name? Surely you know. What he's saying here is, yeah, I feel like an imposter, but what other human has gone up to heaven and come back down? What other human has established the ends of the earth? What human has made any part of this world? No one. No human in and of themselves really knows what they're doing. No human knows how to handle their life. Maybe I'm not such an imposter after all. Now he's talking about uh, doing life on our own. Trying to make things work of our own devices. He's not yet talking about how God meets us in this place. That's coming. But his point is that in a fallen world, we're making all kinds of wrong choices. We're stupid, we're imposters, and this leaves us feeling wearied and worn out. And this section reminds me of this thing that we had in elementary school called the finger trap. Anyone know about the finger trap? Some people call it the Chinese finger trap. It is not from China. I don't know where that. It's kind of like Chinese food. It's, it's an American thing, I think. Uh, but... We still say, some people say Chinese finger trap. So it's a cylinder of bamboo uh, woven in such a way that when you put your two fingers in it on both sides uh, and you start pulling, your fingers get stuck. And the harder you pull on this thing, the more stuck you get and it's, it's unbreakable. It's the hardest of puzzles as an elementary kid. People bring these things to school and stick your fingers in them and be like, ha <laughs> um, And it gets you to the end of yourself. You're, you're exhausted, you're pulling harder and harder and you wonder, Is this my life now like am I just gonna be in this finger trap forever and in this section God is telling us your life is inside of a finger trap you try to make it work of your own devices and you pull and pull and it gets more and more stuck and it's exhausting it's wearying so the first grill groove on our steak as we push down the Proverbs is to name and embrace the exhausting finger trap that you have found yourself in. We are wearied for wisdom. You don't have to deny that weariness. You don't have to numb that weariness. Your neighbor next to you is in the same finger trap. They have not gone up to heaven and come back. They didn't establish the ends of the earth. They don't have this thing figured out. So let's pull back the Wizard of Oz curtain (laughs) and realize that for all of us, it's just a person like me trying to figure this whole thing out and not really doing a great job. So are you feeling wearied this morning? Do you want to drop the facade of having it all together? God is inviting us to do so here. And interestingly enough, the path of God's wisdom actually starts at the end of yourself. The path of God's wisdom starts At the end of yourself at the end of being wise in your own eyes at the end of being prideful thinking that you can do it all on your own it starts when you stop leaning on your own understanding so that's number one the essential feeling of being wearied for wisdom something to actually cultivate in your life it leads to number two uh, the essential recognition that the lord offers wisdom abundantly the lord offers wisdom abundantly Look at verse five here, Um, every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. So see now where where God has been leading us in this passage. It's true that no mere human has gone up to heaven and come back. No mere human can figure out God-like things on his own. No mere human can bridge that gap. But what if God himself has bridged that gap for us? What if he revealed himself and his ways to us in a way that we can understand? What if uh, even more than that, he came down himself in flesh and taught us wisdom? What if we didn't have to figure it out on our own? This is the entire story of scripture. God is the only one who could possibly solve our wisdom problem, and he has done so abundantly. So how do you get out of a finger trap? Here's what happens. You're pulling and pulling and then some kid who's done it before comes up to you, holds both of your hands and pushes your fingers together and expands the trap and, that's, and then you get out. It frees you. It's totally counterintuitive. You're welcome for when you encounter one of these things. Um, no elementary schooler in my school was capable of figuring it out on their own. Someone must come from the outside and hold their hands and teach them how to get out. And that's what God has done for us. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Uh, The word proves is a metallurgical term here. With uh, metallurgy, you take precious metals, put them in a cauldron of extreme heat and melt them down, and the heat separates other lesser rocks mixed in, called the dross, from the pure gold and silver. So this purifies the metal. But this uh, sage is saying that God's wisdom, his word... Everything that we've heard in Proverbs, when put to the fire of your gritty daily life, there is no dross in it. Every word can't be more pure, can't be more true. There are no false rocks to take away. They prove true. They are pure gold to you. By saying this, he's distinguishing God's words from the endless words of imposters like you and me that have a lot of dross. So then, to to rely on these words, he's saying, is to take refuge in the Lord. Remember, God said, uh, being generous to the poor will lead to more fullness for you. Being honest in your work, despite financial loss, leads to more flourishing for you. How is that the case? God is your refuge. He rules this place. It's a promise. Put my words to the heat. See what happens. I am your shield. And then uh, this command comes, verse 6, Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. This is a constant temptation for us, even as Christians, is to go Habsies. To live off some of God's wisdom and then some of our own. We might make ourselves a sandwich. Uh, God's word is the meat. But maybe some mayonnaise of our own cultural moment. Maybe some mustard of our own American political leanings. A slice of bread from our parents' way of doing things, a slice of bread from our friends, and then we, we eat all that down. We forget the first point of the sermon pretty easily, that people in your life don't know what they're doing. Their bread, if it doesn't align with God's word, has green dots of mold on it. Uh, the mayo has been sitting out for quite a while, and the mustard, uh, it's, it's not been shaken. It's that you know, the first squeeze when the water, that disgusting water comes out it leaves you weary to eat that sandwich don't add his words to a bunch of dross base your life on his wisdom even if it means going against something someone else is saying this is the essential recognition that the lord offers wisdom abundantly first here in his word but notice uh, too that god's word isn't the only place where god's wisdom can be found Uh, This has been an underlying theme in the Proverbs that we haven't pointed out explicitly yet, but it's been there for many sermons. Uh, Look in verse 24 here of the passage. Uh, Four things on earth are small, but they are exceedingly wise. The ants are a people not strong, yet they provide their food in the summer. The rock badgers are a people not mighty, but they make their homes in the cliffs. The locusts have no king, yet all of them march in rank. The lizard you can take in your hands, yet is in king's palaces. So the the Proverbs, and scripture in general, find wisdom in God's creation and God's creatures. This section is a short summary that ants teach us how to work. Rock badgers teach us how to seek appropriate refuge when we're powerless. Locusts teach us how to work together without a leader. And lizards teach us about the power of smallness and humility. This is the wisdom in God's creation. Psalm 19 adds to this that non-living things uh, give God's wisdom too. Uh, The heavens, meaning the universe, declares the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. Their voice goes out to all the earth. Their words to the end of the world. God's creation teaches us wisdom. It pours out speech. Are you listening to that? Some of you know of uh, King Solomon in the Bible. He became a king at a young age. God asked him what he needed. And Solomon said an amazing statement that matches with our passage today. He says, um, O oh Lord, I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. I And I, your servant, am in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered. I'm supposed to be king of these people. Give me, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people. That I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to do this? Solomon, at that moment, was at the end of himself, facing a huge task, and he knows it. I don't know what I'm doing. Give me your wisdom. And this greatly pleased the Lord. And, and listen to what happened next. Uh, verse 29 of uh, chapter 4 of First Kings. First Kings 4, uh, verse 29. And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure, and breadth of mind like the sands of the seashore, so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. He also spoke 3,000 proverbs. Uh, This is actually where a lot of our proverbs come from. And then uh, 1 Kings 4.33, what did Solomon's wisdom look like? Solomon spoke of trees and the cedar that is in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall. He spoke also of beasts and of birds, of reptiles, and of fish. And people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. So imagine with me, uh, Solomon comes up here to do your sermon. And he's like, well today we're gonna talk about reptiles. Uh, Particularly the Balkan pond turtle. Uh, Please refer to the picture in your worship guide, with its anatomy, its uh, nesting structure. I think we actually have one in the back if you guys can bring it forward. Um, We'll also touch on the cypress oak tree today. Uh, We'll be going outside. Uh, So I hope you did your homework reading about the root system. Uh, People, I'm sure, were like, Hold on, Solomon, I thought we were going to talk about God. Ah, Solomon knows. God gives wisdom abundantly, both in Scripture, but also in the book of His creation that surrounds you every day. Take uh, these examples. You can learn patience and contentedness by sitting down and observing your grass. It doesn't anxiously toil. It has all it needs, provided by God, and it grows slowly without rushing. Might your grass know something that you don't? You can find wisdom by lifting up a rock in your backyard and observing the insects underneath it. They're really small, really fragile. They seek refuge under that rock. and They have pretty good lives as a result of that. Do you have a refuge in your life? You can learn humility when you come upon a cockroach living in your house. He didn't build your house. He doesn't contribute to your utilities. But because of his smallness and his lack of bothering people most of the time, he lives there and he eats there. Might your humility lead you to similar places in this world? So grill groove number two that Proverbs is giving the stake of your life is an attentiveness to God's wisdom and his word which proves true in the grittiness of our lives, and also an attentiveness to his creation, which is teeming with wisdom. The first groove, our our deep weariness for wisdom, motivates us in this attentiveness. We need it desperately. And one practical way of spending more time attending to God's word after this series in the book of Proverbs, uh, one thing I'll recommend is, is this book here. So this is uh, Tim Keller, uh, a pastor uh, who recently passed away in a denomination similar to ours, and he just has a, a devotional on, on the Proverbs. It's got a little descript- a proverb, a little description of it, and then a prayer of, of how to bring that about in your life. So this is a great way of, of kind of meditating further on God's wisdom in the Proverbs. Um, another thing I would recommend is just going outside uh, today. Um, when you're outside, uh, paying attention to what you see. Pay attention to the plants and the creatures around you and the messages and wisdom within it. It sounds silly, but the sages do this in the Bible. You can go to the zoo in Ashboro, go to the Science Center, and as an adult uh, or as a, as a kid, you can study and watch the animals and learn. If you're more of an indoor cat, uh, you are an avid indoorsman, as some people say, uh, you should probably go outside, um, but you can also watch on Netflix, uh, many documentaries of animal species in this world, plant species, uh, so many of them. Never in the history of the world have we been able to see God's creation at work so easily. And my charge to you, and this passage's charge to you, is to choose these things to try. Uh, maybe choose one of them um, for this next week, uh, this book, or uh, going outside, just intentional time outside to observe Um Something to leave here with, spending less time in your own thoughts and opinions and more time taking in God's wisdom and his word and in the world. So we got the first two grooves, the essential feeling of being wearied for wisdom. Second, the essential recognition that the Lord offers wisdom abundantly. And then, and then lastly, uh, the essential response to it all is humility. Look in uh, verse 11 of this passage. Uh, there are those who curse their fathers and do not bless their mothers. There are those who are clean in their own eyes, but are not washed of their filth. There are those, how lofty are their eyes, how high their eyelids lift. There are those whose teeth are swords, whose fangs are knives, to devour the poor from off the earth and the needy from among mankind. In the midst of this world, in which we are wearied by our own failures, in the midst of a world in which God's offering wisdom abundantly, uh, this section describes four exceptionally prideful people that fill this world. Those who cast off God's authority structures like their parents. Those who cast off God's standards and create their own standards so they're only clean in their own eyes. Those whose eyelids lift high who want to be God's but are not. And there are those who use their power to oppress the vulnerable who who the ruler of this world loves. This pride has no rational place remotely here. But it's everywhere. Fools, scoffers... And we find it uh, in our own hearts, too. The pride that's in you and me. And this all leads uh, the sage to a final charge in this oracle. Verse 32, if you have been foolish, exalting yourself, or if you have been devising evil, which is the scoffer, put your hand on your mouth. For pressing milk produces curds, pressing the nose produces blood, and pressing anger produces strife. This is the the final groove on the stake of your life from the Proverbs. It's a picture of someone who is at one point spewing out many words, their own thoughts and opinions and folly and schemes, but their words have finally stopped because they put their hand on their mouth. It's quiet for the first time. And they can listen to the only one with true wisdom. command to humility. In the book of Job, uh, God takes Job to an incredibly deep place of wisdom. Uh, Job begins the book as the wisest of all people on earth, according to God. And God puts him through a trial of trials. Job loses his kids, all his income, his bodily health, all in a moment. And God doesn't explain it. And Job is devastated and he wrestles with God. He lays a lot of complaints to God. At the end of this long process of Job Uh, wrestling God appears to him in a tornado and answers his complaints and here's the answer God says uh, where were you when I laid the foundations of the world can you hold the wind did you establish the ends of the earth yourself did you go to heaven and come back down Job?" in other words God says exactly what Eger says in verse 4 here's the answer God gives his deepest place of wisdom for Job is God's making the case Job, there's much in this life that's way too big for you to wrap your mind around. I'm the only one who can see all that, so you must trust me with this. I'm worthy of that trust. And look at how Job responds in uh, Job 40, verse 4. Uh, Behold, I am a small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I've spoken once, I will not answer. Twice, but I will proceed no further. Job ends with his hand on his mouth. He in his finitude and limitations stops speaking so he can hear God speak words of actual wisdom. He kneels his soul into a posture of learning in the midst of his trial. He is a model of deep humility. I trust you, God. And God deserves this trust, uh, God's saying, because he's our creator and our ruler. And then there's another reason to trust him. Uh, Verse 33 of of this passage is, For pressing milk produces curds, pressing the nose produces blood, and pressing anger produces strife. This is uh, just a a reminder of the beginning of chapter 30. Uh, Remember what happens when you press your own way in your life? Don't you remember your weariness when faced with the consequences of your own choices? Nothing good comes from trusting yourself, only strife. So God is saying, stop pressing it, put your hand on your mouth, listen and learn from me instead. Now if Job, who was the wisest person in the world, in God's estimation, needed to put his hand on his mouth, what about you? Have you created space to listen to God and his word and creation, or are you still right now trying to do life on your own? Which section of Proverbs have you spoken over God the most? Your relationships, perhaps? Your money? Your home life? Which section of your life are you the weariest from your own failures? Your, your words, perhaps? Your, your work habits? This is a command and an invitation to put your hand on your mouth and listen in those areas instead. Practically, uh, I think this would look like you choosing a topic in the next season to really focus on, one of the ones we've gone through perhaps, and to align your life with God's wisdom there. You could re-listen to the sermon on that topic from the series and get a list of Proverbs about it and start memorizing and meditating on them regularly. You could share that that category with someone you trust, that you're working on this, I need help. This is what practical humility before the Lord looks like. Someone truly arriving at this posture can only uh, do so through the work of the Holy Spirit in their life. To arrive here, it takes real conviction of sin, which only the Holy Spirit can bring. It takes faith in God and His ways, which only the Holy Spirit can birth in you. It takes freedom from our bondage to sin, which only the Holy Spirit can break. It takes the scales from our eyes being finally removed to see ourselves and God clearly. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. And when the Spirit does that and the scales fall off, we also get to see the final and fullest provision of God uh, for our wisdom, Jesus. Jesus is the Word of God personified, so all these proverbs in a person. And 1 Corinthians one twenty four says, Jesus is the wisdom of God personified. He is the living version of all the wisdom in here and in creation. He lives it out perfectly in his relationships, his work, his money, with his conflict. When he deals with the naive person, the foolish person, the scoffing person. This is why we told uh, stories of Jesus during this series. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom. So when we seek wisdom, we're seeking him. When we find wisdom, we're finding him. When we take refuge in wisdom, we're taking refuge in Jesus. And when we do, uh, the tree of life comes in view for us. We can taste of it in the here and now. Not perfectly, not all the time. That will come when Jesus returns. But a real promise he gives is that you can taste it here and his words will prove true for you. You just have to try them and see. So will you lean into your weariness for wisdom? Will you notice Jesus giving you wisdom abundantly? in His word, in the world, and in Himself, and will you put your hand on your mouth and sit under Him today and learn from Him?" In our next series of Advent, uh, to to conclude our Cultivating Shalom theme for the year, uh, we're going to look at pictures of heaven, the Shalom that's coming soon described for us in the Scriptures. As we look at these, uh, we're going to remember in our attempts to cultivate Shalom in this life, uh, we will not succeed, uh, not fully. We will come short in each area as we work towards it. Sin is still really present here. But in Advent, uh, we remember that this is not forever. The Prince of Shalom is coming back to us. And when he gets here, he's bringing the whole thing with him. And so in Advent, we're just going to watch and wait, think about heaven, and look to Jesus. Uh, Let's pray. Jesus, um, thank you for not leaving us alone in our weariness and the finger trap that we created for ourselves in this world. Thank you for bridging that gap, coming to us the first time, giving us wisdom. And thank you, Lord, that you're coming back for us. Be with us as we meditate on on your wisdom, as we decide what practical changes we want to make in our life as a result of this series. And and then be with us as we wait for you in Advent and think about heaven and the, the pictures you've given us. Lord, give us a uh, hope. Pray this in
0: Jesus' name. Amen.